Chapter 6 of Countess Erika's Apprenticeship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Vinay Mala. Countess Erika's Apprenticeship by Osip Shubin. Translated by Annie Lee Vister. Chapter 6. Nine months had passed since Erika's arrival in Berlin. She had travelled much with her grandmother, passing the time in Schlangbad, Gestein and Riveria. As soon as she had become further acquainted with her, Countess Anna had relinquished all thoughts of sending her granddaughter to a boarding school. What could you gain from a boarding school? She said. Hmm, have your corners rubbed off? In my opinion, that would be matter of regret. And as for your education, there's too much already in that head of yours for a girl of your age. But that we can't alter and must make allowance for. And she tapped Erika on the cheek and looked at her with eyes beaming with pride. Erika had come to be the center of her existence, her idol, the most entertaining toy she had ever possessed the most precious jewel she had ever worn. Moreover, she was the late awakened poetry of her life, the transfigured resurrection of her own youth. That was all very natural. She was not the first grandmother in the world who had thought her granddaughter a phenomenon, and it would have mattered little in any wise if she had not thought it necessary to impress her granddaughter with the high opinion she entertained of her. Everything that she could do to turn the young girl's head, she did, all out of pure inconsequence and love of talking, because never in her life had she been able to keep anything to herself. For in fact, she was as unwise as she was clever. Her cleverness was an article of luxury, something with which she entertained herself and others, with which she theoretically arranged the most complex combination of circumstances, but which never helped her over the simplest disturbance of her daily life. She was thoroughly unpractical and was aware of it, without understanding why it was so. Since she could not alter it, indeed she never tried to. She evaded every difficult problem of existence with the epicurean love of ease which was her only enduring rule of conduct. Her affection for Erika was now part of her egotism. She was never weary of exulting in the girl's beauty and brilliant qualities. She felt every annoyance experienced by her granddaughter as her personal pang, every triumph as homage paid to herself. But she never thought of the responsibility she had assumed towards this lovely blossom unfolding in such luxuriance. She was convinced that Erika's life would develop of itself just as her own had done. And in this conviction, she felt not the slightest compunction in spoiling the girl from morning until night and in absolutely forcing her to consider herself the center of the universe. With almost equal impatience, Grandmother and granddaughter awaited the moment where Erika should enchant the world of Berlin society. And now it was the beginning of February and the first Wednesday, afternoon reception of Countess Anna Landoff after her return from Italy. She, whose social indolence had long been proverbial, had sent out numerous cards, 
many of them to people who had long since supposed themselves forgotten by her all this too without any idea of as yet introducing her granddaughter to society but simply that people might have a glimpse of her as a result of the countess anna's suddenly developed amiability towards berlin society this reception was largely attended erica presided at the tea table in a toilet of studied simplicity and with a regal self-consciousness due to the enthusiasm which her grandmother displayed for her various charms but which the girl had the good taste to conceal beneath an attractive air of modesty she did not rattle her teacups accordingly she upset no cream she never pressed a guest to take what had once been declined in short she committed none of the blunders so frequently the consequence of shyness in young novices and she was as her grandmother expressed it simply wonderful full forty times the old lady had presented my granddaughter with the same proud intonation observing narrowly the impression produced upon each guest an impression almost sure to be one of pleased surprise whereupon countess landoff the same countess landoff who had been always ready to ridicule and to ridicule nothing more unsparingly than the mutual admiration characteristic of german families would begin in a loud whisper of which not one word escaped erica's ears to enumerate her grandchild's unusual attractions what do you think of this child who has dropped from the skies into my house to brighten my old age tis my usual luck is it not a charming creature and what a carriage just observe her profile now when she turns her head and the line of the cheek and throat and to think that i was actually reluctant to receive the child oh i treated her shamefully but i am atoning to her for the past i spoil her a little but how can i help it i thought it would be such a bore to have a young girl in the house but on the contrary she makes me young again no need to stoop to her intellectually she is interested in everything at first i was going to send her to school hmm there is more in that golden head of hers than behind the blue spectacles of all the school mistresses in germany and that is not what interests me most she has a certain frank honesty of nature that enchants me oh she certainly is remarkable there the countess landoff was right erica was remarkable but she was wrong in parading the child before her acquaintances first because it bored her acquaintances when are we ever entertained by listening to the praises of somebody whom we hardly know and again because her exaggerated laudation of her grandchild excited the antagonism of her listeners on this first reception day she laid the foundation of the unpopularity from which erica was to suffer long afterwards the afternoon was nearing its close the lamps were lit three or four ladies only all in black the court was in mourning at the time was still sitting in the coziest corner of the drawing room close by the hearth sat a tiny old lady frau von nobin nee princess nebschich with a delicately chiselled face framed in silver gray curls a face the color of a faded rose leaf and with a thin clear voice that sounded like an antique musical clock and seemed to come from far away she was about 10 years older than countess anna 
but had been one of her most intimate friends from childhood belonging also to an old corland family which had given the vienna congress a good deal of trouble she had known telerent in her youth and had corresponded with chateaubriand countess landoff had a watercolor sketch of her as a young girl with the wreath of wine leaves on her head her hair hanging about her shoulders in a bacchanty fashion and with very bare arms holding aloft a tambourine the rococo sentiment of the faded sketch contrasted strangely with the old lady's dignified decrepitude and poetically softened charm opposite her and evidently very desirous to stand well with her sat a certain frau von geralstein wife of a wealthy merchant who had purchased a patent of nobility in one of the petty german states without as he learned too late acquiring any court privileges for his wife indignant at the pettiness of the german sovereign in duodecimo he had established himself in berlin where his wife hoped to find a suitable stage for her social efforts she had been there three years without finding any aristocratic coin of vantage for her pretensions in despair she had fallen back upon celebrities artists professors politicians even democrats to lend a certain splendor to her salon after at last finding her aristocratic vantage ground at a watering place in the shape of a general's widow with debts and a daughter of forty whom she alleged to be twenty-four she annoyed her old acquaintances extremely it was the business of her life to extort forgiveness from society for having once invited eugene richter to her house society never forgives but it sometimes forgets if it be convenient to do so it began to find it convenient to forget all sorts of things about frau von geralstein not only her political acquaintances but also that her husband had made his fortune by furnishing army supplies of doubtful quality frau von geralstein was so available and was besides so ready to make any concessions required of her she threw eugene richer overboard and developed a touching enthusiasm for the court chaplain dryander she bombarded society with invitations to dinners which were excellent and at which one was sure to meet no undesirable individuals she paid endless visits and possessed in fullest measure the article most indispensable to the career of social aspirants a very thick skin she was about twenty-five years old and was gifted by nature with a very small waist which she pinched into the stifling point and with the face which would have been pretty had it not given the impression as did everything else about her of artificiality of course her court mourning was trimmed with three times as much crepes as that of any other lady present and today she had made it her special business to win the favor of little frau von norbin she had offered her three things already her riding horse for frau von norbin's daughter her lawn tennis ground she had a wonderful garden behind her house which no one used and her opera box but frau von norbin's manner was still coldly reserved at last frau von geralstein discovered from a remark of countess landoff that the old lady's principal interest lay in a children's hospital of which she was the chief patroness frau von geralstein instantly declared that the improvement of the health of the children of the poor was positively 
all that she cared for in life. When might she visit the hospital? Countess Landoff smiled somewhat maliciously when Frau von Nobin, caught at last by this benevolent birdline, plunged into a conversation with Frau von Geraldstein upon the most practical mode of nursing children. Meanwhile, Countess Landoff turned for amusement to a young maid of honor, a charming person whose delicate sense of humor had been uninjured by the debilitating atmosphere of the court and who was now detailing the latest misfortunes of a certain Countess Ida von Brock. This Countess Brock was a notorious figure in Berlin society. She was usually called the Twelfth Fairy since she was frequently omitted in the invitations to some social high mass. The word was of Countess Landoff's invention and was then sure to appear uninvited and to do all kinds of mischief by her malicious gossip. Every winter she looked out for fresh lines for her menagerie as her salon was called in familiar conversation for artists sufficiently well-bred to consort with men of fashion and for men of fashion sufficiently intelligent to appreciate artists. Since, thanks to her numberless eccentricities and indiscretions, she had called with all sorts of people. She was always obliged to entreat a few influential friends to procure for her her anthropological curiosities. Some time ago, she had applied to Countess Landoff to provide her with 12 witty counts, an order which Countess Landoff had declined to fill upon the plea that the supply was just then exhausted. During the previous winter, the glory of her salon had been a hypnotizer, a young American for whom the Countess Edda had been widely enthusiastic. Mr. Van Tromp was his name. He had a dome-like forehead and he cost nothing. He was quite ready to sacrifice his time without pay for the pleasure of mingling in good society. A pleasure more highly prized by an American as is well known than by any European aspirant. At the close of the season, the Countess footman had unfortunately put aquafortis in the chambermaid's tea, and thus, as the Countess ascribed the crime to the influence of Van Tromp, she straightway relinquished her hypnotic pastime, the more willingly as most of her other guests considered it a rather dangerous game. Van Tromp was informed of this when he next visited the Countess. He acquiesced in her decision and amiably and unselfishly hoped that without any further exercise of his peculiar talent, she would allow him to visit her as a friend. Countess Brock, however, wrote him a note thanking him for his great kindness, but at the same time insisting that she could not possibly allow him to waste his time at her house. The people frequenting it were, in fact, quite too insignificant to associate with so great a man as himself. This mode of turning out of doors, people whom she could no longer make a use of, she called treating them with delicacy and tact. What Mr. Van Tromp thought of it is not known. He revenged himself, however, by writing a book upon Berlin society, which, as it was full of scandalous stories and appeared anonymously, lived through 25 editions. With the view of making her Thursday evenings attractive this year, Countess Brock had determined to have some one of her favorite modern dramas read aloud at each of them and had engaged the services of a handsome young actor with a broad chest and a strong voice as reader. 
The readings had begun the previous week with the German translation of Dumas' femme de Claude. The young maid of honor had been present and she declared it comical beyond description. There were several young girls among the audience and scarcely had the handsome young actor with the powerful voice reached the middle of the second act when there was a rustling in the assembly caused by a mother's conducting her daughter from the room. This went on all through the evening. Whilst the reader pursued his way with enthusiasm, each scene frightened away some two or three delicate-minded individuals until the hostess found herself left almost entirely alone with the handsome young actor and a few gentlemen. I persisted in remaining, the maid of honor continued amid the laughter of her audience. But I assure you, at this moment, the servant announced Frau Countess Brock, and there entered a woman of medium height in a large high-shouldered sealskin coat for which departure from the prescribed coat morning a long crape veil atoned, a wonder of a veil draped picturesquely over a Mary Stuart bonnet and hanging down over a slightly bent back. Her grizzled hair was arranged above her forehead in curls and her face, which must once have been handsome, was disfigured by affected contortions, sometimes grotesque, sometimes malicious, often both together. Countess Landoff immediately presented her niece to the newcomer, but the wicked fairy paid no heed, and Erika made her a graceful curtsy, which she did not see. She gave additional proof of nearsightedness by almost sitting down upon Frau von Nobin and by mistaking Frau von Jolstein for a distinguished authorist aged 70. Frau von Nobin smiled good-naturedly and Frau von Jolstein declared the blunder delicious. Privately, she was furious, not at being mistaken for an aged woman, but at being supposed to be an authoress. However, she could endure it since she had arranged a visit with Frau von Nobin to the children's hospital for the next afternoon. That was a triumph at all events. Hmm, hmm. What were you all laughing at when I came in? asked the wicked fairy, taking a seat beside Countess Landoff. Upon which a rather embarrassed silence ensued, and she went on with a sigh. At my disaster, of course. Yes, yes, I know Clara. This to the maid of honor. You will tell all the disaster to all Berlin. It was terrible. Oh, thanks, no. This with the polite grin to Erika, who offered her a cup of tea. That frightful actor, she wailed, raising her black-gloved hands, palms outwards, a gesture peculiarly her own and used to express the climax of despair. I have already denounced him to our principal managers. He never will get any position in a Berlin theatre. Think of his insolence in reading my guests out of my drawing room and showing me up as a lover of questionable literature. Was the drama one of his selection? asked Countess Lindoff. No, I chose it myself. But good heavens, the piece was of no importance. The mode of delivery was everything. All he had to do was to skip lightly over the questionable parts, instead of which he fairly rode them in the faces of my guests. Evidently, he liked them best, the maid of honor said with a laugh. Of course, the wicked fairy went on indignantly. These people have neither tact nor sense of decency. Well, 
I have forbidden the man my house for the future. Like Mr. Van Tromp, Countess Sandoff interposed. Oh, I am too easily imposed upon, Countess Brock sighed. The worst of it is that I have nothing now in prospect for my Thursdays. I saw in the newspaper that a couple of armies on their way from Paris to Petersburg are to appear at Cruz, Countess Landoff observed maliciously. You might hire them for an evening. That would be against the law, remarked Frau von Geraldstein, who knew about everything and had no sense of humor. Countess Brock, who had declared that nothing should ever induce her to receive the Archduchess, as she called Frau von Geraldstein, pretended not to hear. Frau von Nobin begged to be told what an amma was. Countess Landoff laughed and was just enlightening her in a low tone out of regard for her granddaughter as to this oriental speciality when her fun Sido was announced. Goswin, exclaimed Countess Anna, evidently delighted. It is good of you to come at last, but not good to have let us wait so long for you. I came as soon as I heard of your return, Sido replied. And as usual, you come as late as possible, his old friend remarked in an assess of absence of mind, in hopes of finding me alone. I call that a skillful method of turning people out of doors, exclaimed Frau von Nobin, laughing, and in spite of her hostess' protestations, she arose and took her leave, accompanied by the young maid of honor. Whilst Erika, with the modest grace which she had learnt so quickly, conducted the two ladies to the vestibule, where only two or three remained of the crowd of footmen that had occupied it early in the afternoon, Goswin's eyes rested on the wall where, to his great surprise, hung the same bocklin that had been removed upon his former visit in view of the expected arrival of the countess's granddaughter. So you sent the young countess to boarding school, he remarked. What? exclaimed the countess, indignant at such an idea. You must see that I am far too old to forego the pleasure of having the child with me. Then, observing that the young man's eyes were directed towards her favorite picture, she suddenly remembered the conversation she had had with him in the spring. Oh yes, you are thinking of how hard it seemed to me to receive the child. It makes me laugh to recall it. As for the picture, there was no need to hide it from her. She knew the entire Vatican by heart when she came to me, from photographs. She looks at everything and sees beyond it. I am longing to have you know her. Did you not notice her? Though this February twilight, to be sure, is very dim. She has just escorted Hedwig Norton from the room. Was that your granddaughter? Sido asked in surprise. I thought it was your niece or date. Where were your eyes? Countess Randolph asked in an aggrieved tone. Odette is pretty enough, but a grisette, a mere grisette in comparison with Erika. Erika is a head taller. And then, my dear, Ampadrin Absolomo Ampadrin. Ah, here she comes. Erika, Harfan Sido wishes to be presented to you. You know who he is, a great favorite of mine and the nicest fellow in all Berlin. Erika inclined her head graciously, and whilst the young man blushed at the old lady's exaggerated praise, said with perfect self-possession, Of course, my grandmother has enlightened you as to my perfections. I think we may both be quite content, Harfan Sido. 
he bowed low and took the offered chair beside his hostess he knew that countess sandoff expected him to say something to her granddaughter but he could not he was mute with astonishment it was true that the countess had written him shortly after the young girl's arrival that she was charming but he had regarded this assertion as a piece of remorse on her part knowing that remorse will incline people to exaggerate especially kind-hearted selfish people for whom the memory of injustice done by them is among the greatest annoyances of life he could not reconcile his memory of the distressed pale shy girl whom he had seen for an instant with this extremely beautiful and self-possessed young lady who seemed expressly devised to act as a cordial for her grandmother's epicurean selfishness he did not know why but he was half vexed that erica was so beautiful the previous tender compassion with which she had inspired him seemed ridiculous the words for which he sought in vain with which to begin a conversation she soon found it is strange that you should not have recognized me here in my grandmother's drawing room where you might have expected me to be she said gaily i should have known you in africa where have you seen each other before the countess asked curiously on the stairs on the evening of my arrival erica explained evidently you do not recall it harfonsido i ought not to have confessed how perfectly i remember oh i remember it very well said sido and then he paused suddenly with a faint smile a smile peculiarly his own and behind which some sensitive souls suspected a degree of malice but which actually concealed only a certain agitation and embarrassment a momentary non-comprehension of the situation he was not very clever except in moments of great danger when he developed unusual presence of mind after all it is no wonder that you made more impression upon me than i did upon you erica went on easily and simply in the first place you were the first prussian officer i had ever met i had never seen anything in austria so tall and broad your appellates inspired me with a degree of awe and then you bowed so respectfully you can't imagine how much good it did me i was half dead with terror you looked as if you pitied me i did pity you countess he confessed frankly the tone of her voice which had first won over her grandmother was sweet in his ears moreover she seemed very much of a child now that she was talking the impression of self-possession which she had at first given him was quite obliterated you knew that my grandmother was not glad to have me she asked yes i told him so and he scolded me for it countess landoff declared with a nod but my dear countess sido remonstrated oh i always speak the truth the countess exclaimed always that is if possible and sometimes even oftener it is the only virtue upon which i pride myself and you are right goswin but do you know how you look now as if you were ashamed of your pity ah i have hit the nail upon the head and a very sensitive nail too it is human nature there is one extravagance which even the most magnanimous never forgive themselves wasted compassion in fact you must perceive that the child has no need of the article goswin was silent if at first the countess had hit the nail upon the head he was by no means convinced of the truth of her last remark 
something in the old countess manner to her granddaughter went against the grain with him once while she was talking to him and erica sitting beside her nestled close to her with the innocent grace of a young creature to whom a little tenderness is as necessary as is sunshine to the opening flower the grandmother suddenly with a significant glass at sido put her finger beneath the girl's chin and turned her face so that he might observe the particularly lovely outline of her cheek meanwhile countess brock was defending herself with much ill humor and many grimaces from the exaggerated amiability of the archduchess which found vent especially in the offer of a specific for the cure of neuralgia from which the wicked fairy suffered constantly and which partly explained the peculiar twitching of her features extricating herself at last with much bluntness from the snares thus spread to entrap her favor countess brock turned to the young officer who strange to relate was her nephew strange to relate for there certainly would be no greater contrast than that of his characteristic grave simplicity with her restless affectation my dear goswin she said in a honeyed tone taking a chair beside him well aunt you scarcely spoke to me when you came in she continued reproachfully in the same sweet tone you seemed very much occupied occupied yes occupied indeed for the last quarter of an hour i have been struggling like a fly in a trap you come just at the right moment dear boy and she tapped his epaulets with a caressing forefinger ah do you wish me to audit your accounts he asked dryly he had but slight sympathy with her god forbid exclaimed the wicked fairy raising her black gloved hands with her characteristic gesture nothing so prosaic as that this time it was about about your thursdays her nephew interrupted her rightly guessed dear boy i want a new star and you can help me a little do you know g the pianist yes i have practiced with him once or twice goswin played the violin in moments of leisure a weakness to which he did not like to hear allusions made there i thought so you must bring him to me pray excuse me the young man said decidedly i will have nothing to do with introducing any artist to you i know too well what will ensue you will squeeze him like a lemon and then show him the door on the pretence that he outrages your aesthetic sense that his manners are not to your taste you should inform yourself on that point before making use of him we all know that artists are not always well bred too true sighed frau von gerolstein edging her chair nearer to the speaker all artists are ill-mannered countess randolph maintained with her good-humored insolence even the greatest asked erica shyly she was thinking of the young painter whom she had met by the monster of a bridge and she could not decide whether to resent her grandmother's arrogance or to be ashamed of the childish admiration in which she had indulged all these years for the handsome vagabond of whom she had never heard since as frau von geraldstein was gently sighing ah yes even the greatest countess anna interposed with a laugh they are the worst of all artistic mediocrities acquire a certain drawing-room polish far sooner than do the great geniuses who live in a world of their own and after all average good manners are only the dress suit for average men they rarely sit well upon a genius i care very little for them a little naive awkwardness does not displease me at all 
on the contrary to be quite to my mind an artist must always have something of the beer about him i take no interest whatever in those trim dandies gentlemen artists who think more of the polish of their boots than of their art nor do i side frofen jarlstein hmm your discourse is always very instructive the wicked fairy declared but it does not help me in my trouble she sighed tragically and arose as she did so her fur boa slipped from her shoulders to the ground erica picked it up and handed it to her the wicked fairy stared at the young girl through her eyeglass surprise slowly dawning in her distorted features you are the granddaughter from bohemia she asked still with her eyeglass at her eyes yes frau countess ah excuse me i have been taking you all this time for my dear anna's companion now i remember she died last year i sent some flowers to her funeral poor thing she was desperately tiresome but an excellent girl you must remember her my dear goswin you used to call her the duke of wellington because she was a little deaf and used to go on talking without hearing what was said to her how could i make such a mistake but i am very near sighted and very absent minded she put her finger beneath erica's chin and smiled an indescribable smile and you are very pretty my dear what is your name erica erica heather blossom and you come from bohemia how poetic how poetic she is positively charming this granddaughter of yours anna do you not think so goswin sido flushed crimson frowned and was silent i must go i seem to be saying the wrong thing countess brock ran on then looking towards the window good heavens she exclaimed it is pouring pray let them call her drokshi erica ring the bell said the countess leant off before erica could obey frofen jarlstein extended a detaining arm but my dear countess erica why send for a drosky when my carriage is waiting below and it will give me the greatest pleasure to drive countess brock home surely you will permit me this last address to the wicked fairy i really cannot i know you far too slightly to impose such a burden upon you countess brock replied crossly why call it a burden it is a pleasure the other insisted there is no pleasure in driving with me i am forced to have all the windows closed said the countess meanwhile erica stood uncertain whether or not to ring the bell when suddenly affairs took a turn most favorable for frau von jarlstein her ricket was announced and without another word countess brock vanished with frau von jarlstein in whose coupe she was driven home she had private reason for this hurried retreat rickard a special favorite of anna landoff's an animal painter with a lined face and an inexhaustible fund of anecdote was among the rewards of the wicked fairy she called her rewards the assemblage of men of talent of whom she had made use only to throw them aside remorselessly afterwards the animal painter's visit was a brief one and none of the countess landoff's guests remained save sido who stayed in obedience to the countess whispered invitation there now i have had enough she exclaimed as the door closed behind her beloved animal painter stay and dine goswin we dine early at 6 tonight and then you can go with us to the academy your game is to play and i have a spare ticket for you end of chapter 6